0: This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Prospect Podcast brought to you by BetMGM. I am Ryan Kennedy. Once again, we are here talking about all the latest in the draft and prospects and as we are wont to do. We start off with a little music talk. Uh, Steven Ellis, our producer, behind the mic there. Uh, this week I'm gonna talk about Rye Coalition, uh, one of my favorite bands. Started off in the hardcore scene out of New Jersey and then kind of made their way more into just kind of a post-hardcore rock thing. And Now, I know you're saying like, I might just talk about obscure bands here. Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters actually brought Rye Coalition on tour with them and uh, he was blown away. So he loves Rye Coalition. Uh, This is one of the more accessible bands I listen to. They're very snarky. They have amazing riffs. The album On Top is the one you want to get because it's flawless. But then earlier albums like He Saw the Cat and The Lipstick Game are also very good. So I cannot stress to you enough how many people I have converted to Rye Coalition. And these are folks that do not listen to my usual hardcore fare. So that is my stamp of approval. And as we also do every time, I'm going to talk about three players that have impressed me for this year's draft. And because the World Under-18s just finished up in Germany, we're going to keep it to that tournament. So the first player I'm going to mention is Jonathan Lakerimacki from Sweden. This is a player who was already rising up the ranks as the season went on. Then he punctuated it, helping Sweden win the gold medal and leading the tournament in scoring. So, tremendously skilled kid with a ton of upside, did exactly what he had to do in that tournament. And I'm wondering at this point, does he flirt with coming into the top 10? It's going to be an intriguing question. I certainly think he has the skill set to do so. And in that range, you know, you're really looking at sort of team preference. But I think he could be in the mix there. Uh, I'm going to stick with Sweden for the second player, and that's Matthias Havilid. The undersized defenseman with Sweden, again, put up a ton of points, was one of the best players in Germany. And, you know, this is a kid where, yes, he can give you a ton of points, but he's also pretty good defensively. You know, he doesn't play like a smaller defenseman, and that's what a lot of the European scouts told me they liked about Havilid. Now, it also helps that he had an amazing world under-18s. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes and i'll finish up with isaac howard from team usa the americans came second obviously uh taking the silver medal uh but howard was just a bulldog all tournament and this this goes to you know what he's been doing all season long for the national team development program where you know he's got that motor he's in on pucks and you know you can get him on breakaways and he will produce you know he's had very good numbers this year he had great numbers in Germany for Team USA. Um, He is a University of Minnesota Duluth commit, so you know he's going to a great program, and it'll be really fun to see where he goes. I I definitely think he's a first-rounder. Now, how high does he go? That'll be very interesting. He's not the biggest kid in the world, but we've seen a lot of players succeed uh, with smaller frames in recent years, so his production and his motor, I think, are going to help him quite a bit. Now, we are going to go to your questions, so Stephen, tee me up. I just uh, downloaded music from uh, Rye Coalition. Nice. After you pick,
1: also uh, you mentioned Turnstile at, at some point. Was it on the show or was it on Twitter?
0: You know, it's funny. I've mentioned them a couple of times, but I think one was a podcast that we lost.
1: Oh yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, but Turnstile—they're humongous right now. I, I've
1: been listening to them. I—I I, I guess I'm, like, I like them. But how did they get popular?
0: Like, I'm what? not really sure because I'm old. But uh, you know, they were a band that was pretty well revered. I think, in the scene for years now, and then attention just kind of came on them. And I will say, you know, like with Turnstile, a pretty palatable sound as well. Like, not typical of, you know, like a like a scene hardcore band. You know, like the vocals are, you know, pretty easy to get down with. And, you know, they have a lot of good... Uh, you know, breakdowns, and they're not too, too fast. So I understand why they could sort of break through.
1: Yeah, it's like I, I had never really heard of them, and then all of a sudden, like, they're on TV, and they're all totally. these things. I like, wow, really? Good for them. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, so first question comes from Ricky Zanata. Mm-hmm. Which prospect helped their draft stock the most at the U18s?
0: A great question. And this is a player that I uh, obviously did not mention in the top three because I knew this question was coming. Yuri Kulich, who played for Czechia – uh, at the World Juniors, and they had a fantastic run. Uh, ended up going to the semifinal. But Kulic, uh I mean, he put up a ton of points for them. And, you know, this was a player that heading into the tournament, scouts were saying, okay, he didn't get a lot of ice time with uh Karlo Vivari in the Czech League uh, because, you know, he is a teenager. But he does have a good all-around game, and he does have skill. So then you get to the tournament, and he was... The Czechs' most dangerous player. So now I'm looking at him and I'm saying, yeah, like this kid is probably going to go in the first round just based on how much he showed against his own peer group. You know, it's like if you, we know he can play against men and survive, but playing against other teenagers, he thrived. So I think Yuri Kulich did a world of wonder for his draft stock. And it'll be fun to see uh, what happens with him when we get to Montreal. Stick with the U18s. Casey Dolson asks, with Owen
1: Pickering having a great U18 World Championships, do you see him
0: uh, being a top 10 pick? Mm. So Owen Pickering was one of Canada's three best players in the tournament as chosen by coaches. Uh, but I'm going to pump the brakes a little there because Canada was terrible <laughs> defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were really bad all tournament long, really. I know Steven loved what Reed Dick did and net for them because he was absolutely shelled. Um, with Owen Pickering, I still think he's kind of a mid to late first rounder Because he has so much raw potential still And, you know, scouts look at the frame he has And the way he moves and what he can do on the ice And they say, yeah, there's definitely something there But, you know, if you look at the high end of the draft In terms of blue liners You're looking at Simone Nemich and Dave Juracek And then a lot of NHL teams think that Ryan Chesley from the NTDP Slots in behind those two guys and then you have guys like Denton Matejchuk and Kevin Korchinski from the WHL So there's kind of a not a logjam, but there's there's quite a few guys ahead of Owen Pickering at this point point. Uh, and then you have to also consider guys like Pavel Minchikov with Saginaw, so There's certainly options there and maybe if a team really likes Owen Pickering they go a little bit early for him, but I, it's hard to see top 10 right now. You can never say never, but I would put him more in the kind of 15 to 20 range right now.
1: Next question comes from Scout the Stars. I like Rucker McGroerty a lot. Seems like a real David Backus type of player. That one's an interesting comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, Backus is a little bit bigger, though. Um, what are your thoughts on him?
0: Yeah, Rucker McGroerty is very intriguing, and it's kind of funny that you bring up comparables because... You know, in draft preview, we do a comparable for every player in the top 64. And I will admit, I hate doing it because I'm bad at comparables. Um, Simply because, you know, you're talking about teenagers whose games are still developing and you're looking at what they could be in the future compared to certain NHLers. And it's always difficult for me because I don't know if it really translates... In print necessarily like if I say a kid is going to be the next Taylor Hall Am I saying he's the Taylor Hall that won the MVP race a few years back or Taylor Hall now or Taylor Hall when he was drafted first overall Uh, So for me, it's fraught with peril, but with Rucker McGrory, The player I'm kind of looking at and maybe I'm totally off base is Mark Stone The one thing uh, that really kind of makes me go in that direction is both of them had issues with their skating early on. And you know Mark Stone's still not a burner out there, but he's so smart and he's such a great two-way player that it doesn't really matter. With Rutger McGroarty, that's the big knock on him, and it has been the knock for years now. It has improved, but you have a big body, a guy that can play a 200-foot game. He can get you a lot of points if he's in the right situation. For example, when he's played with Logan Cooley, He's been great because Logan Cooley will burn up the ice and then he'll find his trailers. So Rucker McGroity doesn't have to be fast when he plays with Logan Cooley. When he's playing with, say, Charlie Strammel and, and Cruz Lucius in more of a, uh, you know, bottom six role, the production wasn't there as much, which is understandable. But you could use McGroity in that capacity because he has that great frame. He can be physical. He can do a lot of stuff out there. So, you know, Backus is interesting. And again, to me, you know, given that I'm not great at comparables, I see Mark Stone uh, mostly because of the skating. Uh, and that's why McGrory is probably a player you see in the second half of the first round rather than the first because it is a concern for scouts.
1: All righty. Uh, CBJ Dog, what type of player will Kirill Marchenko become?
0: Mm -hmm. So Kirill Marchenko just signed his entry level contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets. They've waited quite a few years for him. Obviously, he's been playing over in Russia and getting a pretty decent role there developing for Marchenko. You know, he is one of their top prospects. And, you know, based on his frame and the skill that he brings to the table, I see a top six winger, most likely a second line winger, but with the potential to maybe be a first line winger, because he does have a a lot of experience against men. It'll be interesting to see what Columbus does with him next season. Can he catch on with the team right away? Does he spend some time in the AHL just so he can kind of get his feet under him? You know, the Blue Jackets are rebuilding. They have some pretty nice pieces right now. And, you know, when you think about Cole Sillinger and and Kent Johnson. You know, there's some pretty great high end there. And potentially, you know, Johnson's been playing a lot of wing, but he could play center. Sillinger, obviously, uh, you know, can play center and and was, I would say, their best pivot this year uh, outside of Boone Jenner, who, again, is probably more of a winger uh, in a best case scenario. So with Marchenko, I think, you know, you want him in a scoring role. I think he could probably play a bottom six role as well, but it's not ideal. So it'll be fun to see what happens in the fall, whether we see him in the AHL or we see him full-time with the Jackets right away.
1: Next question comes from Rudolph, had a blue nose. Did you know that? Mm. Fun fact. Do you think Michael Misa is going to be the real deal?
0: I think there's a lot of potential there. And Michael Misa, um, for those who don't know, just got exceptional status to join the OHL a year early and you know that's what Connor mcdavid did that's what shane wright did john tavares aaron ekblad uh Day, and uh so Misa went first overall in the draft to the saginaw spirit so he'll go down there next season i mean from what i've seen live of this kid he has skills that you literally can't teach like when i watch him you know he kind of reminds me of Connor bedard where if he has the puck he's going to find a way either to put it in the net himself or set up one of his teammates. And even in situations where he doesn't have a lot of time and space, his mind and his hands move so quickly that he'll find a way to get it done. And we saw that in the OHL Cup final where you know his team, uh, the Mississauga Senators, won the tournament over a very good Toronto Junior Canadian squad. Misa had a hat trick and five points. He passed Connor McDavid in the OHL Cup record book for most points in a tournament. He had 20 in seven games, not too shabby. And Misa was great. So the only concern with him right now is he's like 5'10 and 150 pounds. That's gonna be tough for him next year. Obviously a big summer ahead for this young man. And again, I mean, he's gonna be the youngest player in the league, so that's understandable. But I would love to see him put on at least 10 pounds this summer and and make it, you know, as muscular as you can. Uh because, you know, I mean the ohl is a, it's a tough league. And, you know, Malcolm Spence, who went number two to Erie, there's a kid. He's already about six foot two. I think he's probably what Steven, buck seventy? Sounds right, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he'll probably be 175, 180 pounds when he goes to the Erie Otters next year. You know, he'll probably have more success early on uh, just because the physical nature of the league won't be as imposing to Spence as it is to Misa. But it'll also be interesting to see what Saginaw does over the summer. Do they bring in some players to complement Misa right away? Um, You know, it's going to be a big summer for that organization as well. Just sort of setting the table because they know they're going to have Misa for three years, just as Erie will have Spence for three years because he's a late birthday. So both of them will be eligible for the NHL draft in 2025. Can't wait for that. That is going to be fun. That's going to be hot.
1: Also, worth noting so, like, we both like Ty Nelson. Ty Nelson's a pretty small guy. Mm -hmm. And it took, when he got to the OHL, it it, it was tough at first. I felt like he was not. And as a defenseman, too. Yeah, that's tough to be a small guy. So, Mises has got a little bit different situation there. Um, Obviously, he's coming in a year younger. um, But kids of this age are still growing. Very true. I didn't
0: at that age. I stopped growing a 13. But some do. Well, and you know, you always go back to Mitch Marner. When London drafted him, he was 5'7 and like 135 pounds mm-hmm. or something like that. And obviously Mitch marners he's, not, he's still not huge, but by the end of his OHL career, he was already like 5'10, 5'11 and, you know, like 165, 170 pounds. And obviously he's had no problem in the NHL. So, yeah, when you're talking about kids that are like 15, 16 years old, obviously you, it's kind of funny. A lot of times scouts or GMs will be like, "Well, his, his dad's tall, or his mom's tall, or it's like, well, they played sports." And uh, so there's a lot of projection where it's like, "Well, okay, we think he can be 5'11" or maybe even six foot." When when all is said and done, but hey, you never know.
1: That some players can be small and still thrive, but that's typically not the norm.
0: You don't see a ton of five,
1: seven, five, eight guys kind of thrive. But tough. Michael Mises is an incredible talent. Yeah. Speaking of that, he got exceptional status, which brings us to the question from Sherman. Uh, it seems like we're always talking about players searching for exceptional status, and it's been a couple of years between the OHL and WHL that we've seen it. Mm. Uh, should the OHL look uh, towards what the WHL is doing and draft players a year earlier and allow them to play some games a season early?
0: Mm. It's an intriguing concept. I would actually kind of flip it on its head, though, and say that the WHL – should get in line with the O and the Q and draft players a year later and just have them go in. You know, right now in the West, you do have that uh, CSSHL league where you have all the sort of like uh, school slash, like the sort of athletic school programs like Okanagan and the Edge uh, where these kids are sort of hothoused where they, you know, they get their high school education, but they're at the rink all the time. Um, So it's a lot more sophisticated out west than it used to be and you know when I look at Ontario especially the Greater Toronto Hockey League which is it's it's the best minor hockey league in the world let's face it the amount of talent that comes out of there is just wild and it's not just because of the fact that Toronto and the surrounding area has a lot of talent but you also get kids from Ottawa coming kids from Peterborough you get kids coming from Russia who will you know, come early so that they're eligible for the OHL as local players and not imports, uh, which is sort of a bonus for the team that ends up drafting them. So you get a lot more con- concentrated talent in the GTHL than you normally would uh, just based on you know, the population. Um, so for me, I think it's okay, because this year we heard that there was maybe three players going for exceptional status. Michael Misa got it, but there was also rumors about uh, William Moore, one of his teammates, and then Ryan Rubrek, who played for the London Junior Knights. So, you know, what happens next year for Moore and Rubrek? Well, you know, Rubrek's playing in London, which is not part of the GTHL, but he could move teams. He could move to the GTHL. And then he's playing against top competition as well. So I think with the strength of minor hockey in Ontario, you know, these kids aren't like blowing the doors off the competition every night. Like Michael Misa wasn't even the best player in the GTHL during the regular season. That was Malcolm Spence, his teammate. So, you know, Misa was ready for the OHL, but he wasn't, you know, destroyer of worlds, even though he was incredible at the OHL Cup. So I think, you know, when when you look at these kids, We're seeing exceptional status once every, let's say, two or three years. Uh, You know, sometimes there's a longer gap, but there haven't been many mistakes. And I think because of the strength of the GTHL, you know, if you're really good and you feel like you're going to be held back by your team somewhere else, then you can go play for the Mississauga Senators, the Don Mills Flyers, the Toronto Junior Canadians, the Toronto Marlboros, which is where McDavid played. Um, you know, there are options So I, I think in that sense, the OHL is fine If anything, I would like the WHL to wait another year before they draft kids Because, you know, for their scouts, it'll be easier to project you know, you know, We we're, were just talking about, you know, Mitch Marner being 5'7 There are so many kids in the WHL that had huge growth spurts from the time they were drafted Versus the time they actually got to the league So just for the sake of the scouts and the GMs in the dub, I would love to see them push that draft up a year. And I know they've talked about, you know, well, it's the schooling and everything and moving provinces, maybe moving countries. But, you know, I think they could make it work.
1: Uh, The one thing that's like for people who aren't from the Ontario area or not aware of what kind of the GTHL, like that's like. That that is the strongest, essentially minor hockey organization. And when you look at it, there's so like a large portion of the OHL. Because like, when you look at like the USHL or even the NCAA later on, it's players from kind of everywhere. Mm-hmm. But the OHL, it's like if you're in the Greater Toronto area, you are going to see most of the quality players at some yeah. point. Yeah. Um, which is kind of why like the OHL Cup's a big deal because you get so much of the the, the top talent coming around. Yeah. Um. WHL also seems like the players getting drafted is like 100 points in 30 games. is like not even special now. Like the right. guys in the, the minor hockey there, but it's just, it just completely different. That's that's how it's done. It's like the kids are playing older competition earlier. Yep. Um, Terry Travis asks, who is your pick to win the Memorial Cup?
0: So this is a great question because I mean, the Memorial Cup's tough. You can't just go with the team that has like, you know, the the highest draft eligibles or, or anything like that. So right now, I think, I'm going to go with the Hamilton Bulldogs from the OHL. And, you know, I mean, they've got to be some tough teams along the way to to clinch that berth. But I look at how experienced and older the Bulldogs are. And then they do have the high-end elements like Mason McTavish, like Jan Meshack, you know, like Ryan Winterton. On top of a very solid decor led by Nathan Steos. Um, like I said, they're pretty experienced, so they don't have a lot of like 2022 draft eligible players, but they're kind of built for this season. And, you know, they've got a veteran goalie. He's six foot one, which is good enough for me. Uh, and that's sort of a big concern with, you know, with some of these teams, when you get to the Memorial cup and I've seen it in person myself, uh, you know, it's tough for small goaltenders in that tournament because they're facing big time shooters. Six foot one, that's fine. And, you know, like the Quebec Remparts, they're another hot team. They've got a couple of goalies. They're both six foot one. Um, and then, you, you know, you're going to have the host St. John Sea Dogs. They're obviously going to be primed for that tournament. Um, I think they've got a lot of potential as well. Out West is really tough because Winnipeg and Edmonton are going to meet before the final because they're in the same conference. And to me, those are like the really fun teams because they have, you know, the Matt Savoys, the Connor Geekies, Sebastian Kosa in net for the Oil Kings. You know, they got Caden Gooley and Luke Prokop uh, on their defense core. They have so much firepower up front with Dylan Gunther and Jake Neighbors. Um, but one of them's going to be eliminated before they even get to the final. So it's tough to pick somebody in the dub right now. But yeah, I, to me, Hamilton is that team that, They've got it all, and they're going to be heavy, and they're going to be experienced, and it, it feels like their year. All right. I
1: love Rocks One. Should Canada look to have a centralized team like the United States? USA Hockey values winning June tournaments a lot. I feel like Canada could do the same. And we, you and I have talked about this at some point in the past. I say yes, but we just haven't seen
0: it. Yeah. And again, I'm totally on board with this. Um, the big question is. The format and can you get the buy in? Because there's a cultural difference up here from the US where junior hockey has been so big for so long. You know, the CHL is such a powerhouse that you'd have to convince kids to give up playing in the OHL, the WHL, or the QMJHL to play for this national program. Now, when you look at the NTDP, and Team USA, that was born out of poor results uh, at junior tournaments, uh, specifically uh, way back when Boston hosted the World Juniors. And the buy-in at the beginning was really difficult. If you talk to people that work for the NTDP, you know they really look at guys like Adam Hall that were there at the very beginning uh, who really made a difference because they took a chance and they knew they were going to get beaten. Uh, in those early games that they were playing against older competition, but they persevered, and then you started to see the floodgates open, where you got the Patrick Canes, the Austin Matthews, the Jack Eichels, you know, the Jake Trubas, the Seth Joneses, you know, all those players coming through the NTDP. So, what I've always wondered is, could you do a bit of a halfway measure where you convince Major Junior to lend out players for their sort of rookie season to go play for this national team. So it'd be a U-17 Canadian national program where you'd play older competition, most likely, you know, Junior A teams in Canada, depending on where, you know, do you set it up in Toronto? Do you set up in Calgary, where you have a lot of Hockey Canada facilities and you could play some really strong Junior A teams out West because like the Alberta Junior A League is fantastic. Maybe don't put them against the Brooks Bandits because they'd lose 20 to nothing. But, you know, you could put them against like other teams. Um, If you could convince teams to give up those high prospects for a year and then say, hey, you're going to get them for their NHL draft season and they're going to be so experienced and they're going to have a lot more ice time with us than they would have gotten with you. uh, In some cases, you know, if you're rebuilding, you can play the kid as long as you want. But at least then you'd have a core of kids that knew each other. And then when you got to tournaments like the World Under 18s, and again, granted, because of the CHL schedule, you're only going to get the kids that don't make the playoffs. Um, but when you get to those tournaments, then obviously you have a lot more built-in chemistry than you do now. Where you know it kind of feels like no matter what tournament hockey Canada is looking at at the lower rungs, you know you'll have situations where they bring in sort of like 60 kids and put them on three different teams for like the world under 17 challenge and things like that and so you don't really get any sort of chemistry because you never you know the final team once you get to the world juniors is 22 23 guys uh same with the world under 18s and the Holinka Gretzky tournament so i'd love to see it i think it's an uphill battle culturally because everything is so entrenched right now and it would be a big ask not only of CHL teams, but also the kids themselves, to say, would you take a chance on this? You know, if it goes wrong, it might hurt your hockey career, the thing you've been dreaming about since you were five. Uh, But I think it would be a winner, and I think it could really help Canada. Not that they're struggling, um, but I would love to see it because that would be super fun. And you could play other national teams in Europe. You have some pretty fun road trips. Even if you've played up a year or two, you could play, you know, Austria's under-18 team or Switzerland's under-18 team, even though you're only U-17. Um, that's what they do at the NTDP. They're always trying to get those kids to play older competition, and it works very well. So I'm with you. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm hoping for something in the future. Also, the, a lot of the teams really rely on, in the OHL, for example, really
1: rely on having a star player come through. Like, ask yes. OHL teams how Shane Wright coming through or Quinton Byfield in the previous years yes. is a big deal.
0: Yeah, and attendance is very important uh, in the OHL, especially in these communities where the teams mean so much and have been there for so long. Uh, you know, you look at just in you know in the OHL, again, like the Kitcheners and the Londons of the world. um, So it's a big ask, especially now that, you know, because of the pandemic and all the OHL cancellations we've had, it's like these teams are still really building up and sort of getting back on their feet. So we're definitely not going to see it right away. But I don't know, five, ten years down the road, who knows? Uh, We can dream, right? Hockey
1: Canada wants to win some of these tournaments. And if the Americans start beating them every year. They might see something different exactly. all right this is kind of a two-parter to end the show mm-hmm. uh, from Peter Harling another uh, prospect guy uh, do you think the value or appeal of overage players will be higher this year due to a lack of games last year and who are some of the top overage players available
0: yeah so I, I think we're gonna see some I don't know how early but you know I look at Arizona taking Moser last year in the second round and him actually getting in NHL games this season as a pretty good template of what could happen for teams that have space immediately, teams that don't necessarily have great pipelines, um, you know, where you can take a chance and say, okay, here's a kid that's pretty much fully formed because he is an overager. Let's let's get him in the mix right right away. We'll sign him right away. He can either go to the AHL or maybe play some games with us. You know, Lucas Edmonds from the Kingston Frontenacs is the best example. You know, he's like a Swedish Canadian kid uh, who I I will not bore you with the Paperwork and the bureaucracy, but he's like 21 and he's still draft eligible, even though he's an OHL rookie Um, He's the sort of player that I could see a team with multiple second round picks saying Okay, let's get him in right away. We think he can make an impact and We know he'll sign with us because he wants to make an impact right away Much like Moser did last year in Arizona. Hey, hey, maybe it's Arizona that picks Lucas Edmonds because they still have a lot of uh, job openings there in the desert. And then, you know, you have guys like Samuel Mayer in Peterborough. Uh, Again, you know, a player that may be a bit of a late bloomer, but he's coming on strong. Uh, David Spacek was passed over last year, and then he's been amazing for Sherbrooke this season in the Quebec League. Uh, Frederick Brunet with Ramouski is another defenseman who's uh, passed over before, looking pretty good for this year's draft, big, strong kid, uh, did pretty well for the Oceanic. Uh, So those are the major junior players that I think could be in that top 100 range. And then you also have Stephen Halliday from the Dubuque Fighting Saints. Now, he's going the NCAA route, so... Even though he's passed over and he'll probably get drafted, you're not going to see him next year in the pro ranks because he's going to go to Ohio State for at least a year, if not you know, several years. But he is a name to keep in mind as well. All right, that's it. Excellent. Well, thank you, everyone, for your excellent questions. As always, we are brought to you by BetMGM. I am Ryan Kennedy, Stephen Ellis on the ones and twos. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. I can feel myself.